Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If you took that streetcar to Tennessee Williams' desire, how much in common would you have with Blanche Dubois? When seeking to bless those who have less, we can take attitudes with us that alienate rather than ameliorate if we don't begin the work in our own heart first. Danny Werfel, Executive Director of Desire Street Ministries, brings us this message entitled Blessing the City from the Inside Out, which covers Proverbs chapter 11, verses 10 through 12. Thank you for joining us today. We're really privileged to, uh, to have Danny Werfel with us today. Uh, many of you know his, his story as an athlete in college football at the University of Florida. Yeah, Florida. How many Florida fans do we have here? Let's see. All right. Now, very good. I saw all, all seven of you. That's nice. But uh, we can be honest at church, can't we? How many of you really hate Florida? Let's raise your hand. There you go. Well, here's interesting. It shows the love of Christ, Danny. We love you. Even though where you're from, we love you. We're glad to have him. But uh, let me just say a word about Danny. Uh, Danny is, uh, after his college career, Heisman Trophy, many of you know the story, his Heisman uh, Trophy winner, uh, went on to uh, play professional football. And, uh, but now... The greatest part of his career, I will assure you, he's given leadership to a ministry, Desire Street Ministries, that is making a profound impact in, uh, in great areas of cities that need the ministry. He'll tell you a little bit more about it. I'm going to invite you when the service is over to go to their table, which is going to be right out in the foyer to the right. And particularly, I'll mention again, hopefully as I close to remind you, but sign up, sign up for his newsletter and keep abreast of what they're doing. Uh, this last year at Christmas time, I wanted to give some gifts, uh, some folks that I felt probably didn't even know what to give them. And I thought, you know what, in their, in their honor, I want to give them a gift to some ministry that I highly believe in. And I picked one ministry and it was Desire Street. And I believe in this ministry and I hope you do too. And I hope you're going to learn more about them. But uh, we're here in a series and it's a, a blessed series. And next two weeks after this, we're talking bless the city. We've asked Danny appropriately to talk and address that. And then we'll be talking about it, blessing the family and blessing the next generation. So uh, we're blessed to have you here, Danny. Come, and we look forward to your teaching. Thank you to all seven gators out there. (laughs) Thanks for the support. Um, For all you haters, well, uh, let me just say this. Uh, People ask me, we moved my family and Desire Street's headquarters here four years ago, and they said, why in the world? Would you as a gator move right into the heart of Georgia bulldog country? Don't you know you're going to have just a lot of trouble? I said, well, you know, at least when I was playing, we never had any trouble with Georgia. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll be fine. Uh, it really is an honor for a lot of reasons for me to be here with you this morning. Um, long before I had been or, or known much about Perimeter Church, Um, My life has been impacted through the ministry of this. When I came out of college uh, in 1997, um, I met a person who became a significant part of my life, a mentor and model in so many ways. And that was the first that I had had heard of the church and and the different ways that it was uh, impacting even me. Well, about seven years ago, almost to the day, uh, 
Hurricane Katrina came through New Orleans, which is where Desire Street was headquartered and founded at the time. And, and so we were in this, this disarray. We had kids spread out all over the country in shelters that we couldn't find. We didn't, didn't know what was going to be the fate of Desire Street Ministries. And I got the opportunity to share a few thoughts here during one of the services. And following the service, uh, standing out in the foyer, I got to meet several of you that have become so dear to me and to my family and to our ministry and the, the Cheryl family. Um, Robbie came down and she, she actually spent several weeks doing counseling for, for the students who had been through Katrina. And she's been just a great friend to me and my family. Uh, Jack Alexander, somewhere here, Jack came down and did a couple things that were really cool. He, first of all, he gave us a big check. So that was super. Um, anybody welcome to come. Uh, but, but beyond just that, he got involved. I mean, he actually went in and we were having trouble processing checks and he just sat down and started processing checks with us. And he goes, you know, let's do something fun for the, for the guys. So we put together, he organized this big flag football game, which was cool. But what it made it really cool was he had prizes like prizes like Best Buy gift certificates and, and these gift cards to, to Walmart. So it was this exciting thing. Jack, I don't know if I ever told you that a few of the kids with their Walmart gift cards went and bought these BB guns and they were having BB gun wars and they shot out some of the windows. So we had to use some of your money to replace the windows too. Um, but we were, we were doing the best, best that we could. Uh, and also the, the church uh, that Randy prayed for earlier, All Souls Fellowship Church and Pastor Shane Wheeler, that's, uh, that's where we live in Decatur, and, and we attend that church. And, and so I have personally been blessed so much uh, through you, and I'm grateful for that. Scripture this morning uh, comes from Proverbs 11, as we begin this, this idea that's part of the series and part of the vision for, for you as a church moving forward. And today we're going to focus specifically on how as a church we can bless the city and all that that might entail. So Proverbs chapter 11, starting in verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Proverbs 11, 10 through 12. As we think about the city, I picked this passage for a couple of reasons. Um, the first was one of your pastors emailed it to me. So that was, that was, that was one. Um, but, and it was a suggestion, so I'm not picking on Drew, <laughs> but I'd like to pick on Drew. Um, there's two reasons why this passage really stood out to me and why I did want to use this to start. Really, um, it's talking about the, the city in a macro level. And when I think of the city, we're thinking of Atlanta and the surrounding regions and the surrounding towns. It's talking about when the righteous prosper, when, when those who are, are living out their faith and the godly lives with the godly values and they have positions of, of influence, the city will rejoice. It talks about the blessing, through the blessing of the upright, in a, in a sense that those that are upright have an opportunity to bless this city on this, this macro level. And, and, you know, to be honest, when I think about what does that mean to bless the city, it's really bigger than, than really what I have experience with. You know, my, my experience in the last 15 years as it relates to the city is, is really limited to a very focused part of the city, an impoverished 
neighborhoods, defined neighborhoods that are distressed, that are impoverished, where there's incredible amounts of violence and, and drugs. The education systems are, are just bankrupt. The healthcare, housing, economic development is just stagnant. And the things that the, the kids go through are, are horrific. So that's, that's sort of my niche. But as I, as I think about this, this, what we're going through, we're talking about a series to bless the city. So it's a, it's a much bigger macro thing that you're thinking about than I perhaps have something specific to say from a strategy perspective. I do believe you've got great strategists here. You've got great pastors, great leaders, and they've been spending a lot of time thinking and praying and learning about what's the most strategic way for you to hit the entire city and the surrounding regions. And so I trust that, uh, that, that you're going to get that. And, and honestly, that's not, that's not where, where I can come from. But the second reason I picked this is as it goes into verse 12, you know, we're talking about this macro idea of blessing and transforming the city. And then it jumps right into, but a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor and a man of understanding holds his tongue. It's kind of like, okay, you want to bless the whole city, yeah, but can you get along with your neighbor? It's like, it's bringing it closer to home. And I, in a sense, want to even bring it a little closer to home, not so much the neighbor on the other side of your fence, but the neighbor inside your fence, the, the neighbor inside your heart, that this is an opportunity to bless the city, but it all starts from deep in the core of who you are as an individual and what God is doing there. And so I wanna, I wanna start there and perhaps just offer some thoughts about our hearts as we begin this process of trying to impact the city at large. And for me to, for me to do that, I really have to reflect back on the last 15 or 16 months of my life. As this, this past period of time has been just a defining moment in so many ways in my life. And, um, you know, I, uh, the different things that I've gone through, it's been by far the toughest, the most traumatic for me, far worse than uh, Hurricane Katrina. Um, and it's been difficult in a lot of ways, and, and there's an illness that I'll share in a minute. But before that hit me, this illness, right in the months before that, someone gave me this book. It was a fascinating book. It had a lot of different things that I was really interested and intrigued in. But one of the things it was talking about was a survey of how cultures in all of history, and different religions for that matter, would initiate their boys. Sort of what is the rite of passage? to where a young boy knows I was a boy and now, now I'm expected to be like a man. One of his points is we don't do that anymore and we've got a whole bunch of grown-up boys running around uh, in the world that we really don't do that in our culture and in our faith traditions. Well, he said in his research of all these different cultures and religions, he found five things that seemed to be present in all of these initiation passages that really, really caught my mind at the time for some reason. These are the five things that they would teach their boys. Of course, then he actually said, no, they didn't try to teach them because boys don't listen to anything when you teach them. They made them experience these things and that hopefully through experiencing these five things, it would set their life on a different course. So what were they? One, life is tough. Two, it's not about you. Three, you're not that important. Four, you're really not in control. And five, young man, you will die one day. 
So I, I read this and it, it really fascinated me. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but as I read that, I thought, man, this could have a lot of implications on other people. And who are those people in my life that I want to share this with that, you know, golly, someone's a control freak and I wish they would read this. And oh my goodness, life is tough. I want to tell my son that. And, and so I, I think I got it up here. Um, but you know what? I think God really, really wanted me to get it at a much deeper level to weave it deeper into the core of my heart. And not long after that, my wife and I and our kids, we, we went to Montgomery. We uh, try to spend time there in the summer and live in the inner city with one of our partners, with their family, and, and to be immersed in the life of the inner city and have our kids uh, go to the, the summer camp with all the other kids. And so it's, it's usually a great experience. It's tough a lot of times, but it's a great experience. Well, I woke up one morning while we were there, and I kind of hopped out of bed, and when I landed, I almost fell over. My knees buckled. I mean, that's funny. And as the day went on, I got weaker and weaker. I tried to go down some steps, and I almost fell down. And, and later, my hands started to go numb, and then I started to get, to get weak in my hands. And so there was this, this sense, really, uh, that this, this isn't good. So I go to the doctor, and this doctor uh, does some tests, and, and then I left, went back to the inner city, spend the night, uh, in, in, this, in, the, in the hood, in the ghetto of ghettos there in the west side of Montgomery. And at, at uh, about 5 a.m., there's a loud knock on the door. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going down? So I cracked the door open, and it was the doctor. And I thought, you're probably not here to tell me I'm okay, are you? <laughs> he said, no, um, I wanted to see if you were still breathing. What? He said, I think you have something called Guillain-Barre syndrome, GBS. It's an autoimmune disorder that begins to attack your body. Your own immune system attacks your body. Your antibodies are fighting yourself and you can get paralyzed. It works up your legs. It can go up your arms. It can actually get into your respiratory system in your chest and you can die from suffocation. Well, thankfully he came there. Thankfully I was diagnosed quickly. I got started getting treatment. But it began a very defining period in my life. Uh, For a while, it was to the extent of, I mean, not even just doing anything with my kids, but just even couldn't go to the bathroom, could barely stand, could barely move. It was a very traumatic at at the moment. And and then it it turned into, as I began to recover from some of the, the hard effects of this, the reflexes and strength, then I entered into this long season that really has taken this whole year and even still is lingering where there was this intense fatigue, where I was just exhausted. I tried to do something, I'd wear out, I'd have to sleep for hours. And God took me from going really quickly in life and moving fast and exercising and competing in different things to stopped. I think he wanted me to focus a little more on some of the things going inside of me. So what I'd like to do for, for this time as I like to take those five things, and as God began to work those into my heart, I'd like to, to, to share them and walk through them in the context of this opportunity to bless the city. And how do these things, as they impact our hearts and our motivations and what we're about, how are they going to affect our effort to bless the city? So that, that's what we're going to do for the, for the next few minutes. Um, you know, first, uh, I will say when I got to New Orleans, I had a, a very specific idea of how I was going to bless the city. My plan was to go in there and be the first quarterback 
to win the Super Bowl and that somehow that would unite the whole city and there would be healing. And it, it happened a few years ago with Drew Brees. <laughs> it didn't happen with me. And, you know, I, I thought it was going to be one way and it looked different. And I remember going in in my first start, I was back to pass. I was so excited. I was looking this way. I turned. And as I turned, this guy dove through the air head first and his helmet hit me right in the temple. And as he fell off and I stood back up, I looked and I, I couldn't see anything. It was total darkness. And I, I blinked my eyes and it was still pitch black. And next thing I know, I got hit and I was on my hands and knees. I'd been sacked and I got up and I took a deep breath. And I said, oh, Lord, thank you that that's over. Scary moment to get hit in the temple and not be able to see. As I took a breath and opened my eyes, to my uh, deep dismay, it was still pitch black. I couldn't see anything. What had happened when this guy hit me, and as he spun off this way and I spun off this way, my helmet spun all the way around my head to where the face mask was back here. And yeah, it's funny now. Uh, Thanks for laughing. But at the time, I really thought I was blind. And then I started to think maybe it's worse. Maybe I had died. And then I thought, well, where's Jesus? This is really bad. And one of my linemen said, well, if you thought you had died, did you see a light? Yeah, I did. It, was, it wasn't coming at me, though. It was moving left to right. And he said, that was your ear hole as it went by your eyes. So how we bless the city, uh, it may not be how you think, but you're going to have good strategy. But here's the things that I, that I want to share this morning. Number one, I remember growing up, and my dad used to say this often, and I hated it. Something wouldn't go my way. I'd start to complain or fuss. And he'd say these three words, Danny, life is tough. I hated that. He said that often and I hated it back then. And you know what? I still hate it. Like there's something in me that just wants life not to be tough all the time. And that if you finally do the right thing enough, or if you finally are around the right people, or you get the right job, or somehow that life will just be a little more comfortable. It'll be a little easier But it seems like no matter where you go, toughness follows you. And, you know, in in fact, we live in a country where even even the toughest things we spend are across the world. I mean, we're like, we've got the most comfortable lives ever, and it's still tough. If you took a couple minutes, you probably could think of several things right now in your life that are just tough. And so not only do we go into life hoping it's going to be comfortable, we have to deal with the fact that it's tough. Then we have to deal with the, the fact that we didn't expect it to be tough. So it's kind of like this double double whammy that we all have to deal with comes in all sorts of different ways but as it comes to blessing the city as a church it sounds awesome like it sounds really cool let's bless the city you know it sounds like I part of me I'm I'm hearing a harp and roses as we're going to go out and we're going to bless the city you know and and do these things but guess what it is going to be tough It is going to be hard. There's going to be times you're not appreciated. There's going to be times where people don't want to hear you. There's going to be times where everything goes bad. It's more like instead of a walk in the park, it's more like going out into a battlefield. And it's tough, tough work. And one of the reasons it's really tough is because when you go to bless the city, the city is filled with people. And people are tough. I mean, people all around us are tough. You know, going to see your in-laws sometimes could be tough. There's all sorts of things that are tough. And right now, you know, there's probably, if I said, you know, think of three, four or five people that are just really hard to be around, 
really hard. You're probably having some names or some ideas starting to come into your mind, but before you spend too much time there, realize that there's probably someone else somewhere and maybe even in this church that's thinking about you. I mean, we're all tough to be around because we're people and we're broken and we're selfish. And the city's full of us. That's tough, but, but even worse, it's not just filled with people. The city is filled with people that come together over time and over generations and form systems, institutions, centers of power. And the reality is, is when people have those things put together and you happen to be one that's on the top or in the middle or in the center, you by nature have something to protect. And anything that threatens that, whether it sounds good or not, is a threat to things that you've grown to hold dear. And so as we go out to attack and to change and to bless the city, there's going to be resistance from not just people, but from institutions and systems. And I remember in New Orleans, when I got there, I was like, we are just going to help this neighborhood. It's going to be awesome. And, and the founder of our ministry says, yeah, but you know what? The city is filled with what I call poverticians. They benefit from this neighborhood being poor. And if we try to change this neighborhood, it's going to upset the benefits that they get, and there's going to be a war. Systems, institutions, hard, tough. But maybe even tougher than the fact that we have to go take on institutions. If we're deep in our core, the reality is that many of us in this room are in those systems, are in those institutions, are on the top of those, that we are in a privileged place, whether it comes to money or whether it comes to power or whether it comes to influence or prestige, that in many ways we are benefiting from some of these systems. And perhaps the hardest thing that we can do and are going to have to to think about and, 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 and perceive as a possibility is the fact that we may have to take our systems, our place of privilege, our money, our power, and we, we may have to share that if we really want to be a blessing. Philippians chapter 2. We have a great example of this, don't we? Your attitude should be the same as who's Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, taking up all the space, did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped or held onto for himself, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man and humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. His privileged place of all, he gave away so that we could be blessed. That's the hardest thing of all. And that's an opportunity that we're going to have. Number two, I've got three children, two boys and a beautiful little girl, monkey, monkey, princess, we call it. And our boys love, uh, they love cars when they were a little bit little. And now now they love Legos. So they've got all these Legos. They get Legos all the time. Yesterday, uh, uh, or this week ago, my son had a birthday, the six-year-old, and he got all these Legos, and when he didn't get Legos, he got Target gift cards. So yesterday, we went to Target, and we bought more Legos. So we've got rooms full of Legos. The floor's covered with Legos. My wife is insane with Legos everywhere. So you'd think with two boys, we have enough Legos, right? Because when they go in there to play, guess what always happens? Oh, that one's mine. No, 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 that one's mine. That's mine. It's mine. It's mine. They start screaming this mine. And you know, it was, it was cuter when there were two 
But now it's annoying. What about when they're 10? Or what about when we're 20? Or when we're 40 or 60? And what if we don't run around screaming mine over a toy Lego, but the way that many of us live our lives as it relates to everything, but in particular our time, our money, our talents, the talents that God has blessed us with that we are supposed to be stewarding for him. How often, if we're honest, do those really revolve around me, around us? And if we take a step towards being unselfish, maybe around our immediate family, you know, and, and, and we're, we're so invested, everything is about us. And, you know, it sounds like, uh, like okay, well, we don't want to be selfish and self-absorbed like that. So that's part of the reason why we do service. We're going to move away from the selfish position and we're going to do service and it's not going to be about us. The point number two is it's not about us. And so we're going to move to serve, right? So if we begin to serve someone else, certainly we're off the hook here, right? Because it's not about us, we're serving. (laughs) Guess what? Our service can be all about us. And part of the true trauma this year for me wasn't the fact that my body shut down, was the fact that I began to be forced with the truth that a lot of what I do that I think is godly and loving for other people, a lot of what I do through Desire Street that's wonderful that we do in the inner city, a lot of my service has really been about me, about my need to feel okay about my need to feel like I'm not a selfish person, about my need to have other people validate this image that I need in myself. And if our service is about us, holy smokes, are we gonna go out and and run around the city and, and all the different avenues and plant perimeter flags and say, this ground is taken by perimeter. Look what our church has done for the city. Is it about us? One practical thing, here's just one that maybe can help in this, in this one. Listen, ask questions. Before you go to do something for someone else that you know they need, ask. Learn their story. What is it that they need? I mean, this applies all over the place. It applies to husbands with our wives. You know what? Listen, what's going on? What are they feeling? Don't try to fix it and solve it before they ask. They may often don't even want you to fix anything. They just want you to listen. Makes no sense to me. <laughs> but listen, it relates to, to missions, relates to the inner city. I mean, uh, how many times have I heard these stories of mission groups going to these poor countries and they're like, they need a well. We're going to build a well. Everyone, let's gather up our momentum, send a bunch of money, we're going to build a well. And the, and the people are kind of like, we have a river right here. We've got a lot of water, like, um, but we don't have wood for houses. Do you see we're like sleeping in the rain? Can we have, we're going to build a well. We'd really like a house. We're going to build a well. We build a well. God bless us and God bless you. I mean, it's like, is it about us? Or is it really about who we're serving? It's going to be tough. May God change our hearts to where it's not about us. Number three, got a chance to go to the Heisman Trophy ceremony every year where they present the award to the next winner. And you can imagine all the different autograph people that are looking for autographs uh, in, this, in this place. And this one kid one year followed me into the bathroom. Like he was serious. I'm glad he at least waited by the door. So I use the restroom. I wash my hands. And I'm walking out. He, he lifts up an orange gator mini helmet. So I pulled out my Sharpie pen. 
that actually has my name written on it because I'm so cool. <laughs> and I said, uh, who would you like this made out to? And he looked at me and I knew what was going on. See, what happens is if, if you don't personalize it, the, these people are autograph hounds. They'll take it and they'll go eBay it and sell it. And how dare this kid try to steal mine and these other Heisman autographs because we're so cool to go sell this. That's not acceptable. So what you do is you, you make them, who can I write this to? Because once you put a name on it to Ben, it, it becomes less sellable. So I was pressing this. I said, who do you want me to make this out to? And he said, um... I don't know who you are, but I just saw you walk out of that room and I was hoping you could take this helmet in there and get Tim Tebow to sign it for me. (laughs) Point number three, you're not that important. (laughs) Last April, I was going to Tim Tebow's golf tournament because I was one of the special ones to get invited as a celebrity to Tim Tebow's golf tournament, sure. So I was on my way, I was in the Atlanta airport and I stopped to get my shoes shined because I was gonna be there with like all these hyper celebrities and real famous people, so I had to look right, right? So I get on this, this basically that you sit up high on this chair and, and this guy there gets down on his knee or he's on a stool really low and, and he began to shine my shoes and I learned he'd been there for like 40 years. And so I, you know, I was really thinking about him, of course, and I was wondering if he thought it would be cool that he was shining the shoes of a Heisman Trophy winner. It was all about him, of course. Uh, it wasn't my need to get an affirmation or, or get, get a little, you know, hit for my ego. I'm sure that wasn't involved at all. Um, so much so that I broached the subject very gingerly. I just, you know, not going to say anything other than, have you ever met a celebrity? <laughs> and, uh, he stopped. Just picture this. He stopped. Didn't do anything for a second. I wonder, like, is, is he dying? He looks up at me and he says, son, in my world, there are no celebrities. To anybody that's up on a pedestal, then put themselves up there. And it don't make no never mind to me. And he went back. <laughs> Man. Talk about the Spirit of God harping on me. Of course, what I did was I took that as a story to show how humble I was, and then I went and shared that. And that's why God, I think God had me to get sick so I could actually learn the stories that I've been saying my whole stinking life. Um, it's, <laughs> we're not that important. You know, I really thought I was going to uh, go to New Orleans and be the guy that won the Super Bowl, and I was just the guy laying the ground for Drew Brees. So we're not important, and we need, we need to remember that. If we go in thinking we're that important, and that aura, you know, we may not say, we don't know, really, who, who's going to show up and say, I'm better than you, or we're great, or our church is the best, or you need to listen to our strategy. You don't ever say those things, but man, do they emanate out of us. And when people see that, does that, does that draw people? No, no. We're not that important. Number four, we're not in control. Just not in control. Now, when I say that, for the most of my life, and maybe some of you think, oh, Goodness, I know some control freaks, and they make life miserable for all of us, and, and we're going to send the tape to them so they can hear point number four. Like, skip the first three. It doesn't matter. Just send this to them. And, you know, it is true that, that there are people that tend to be very, very controlling. But one thing I've learned, and I believe to be true, is that we're all control freaks. We just do it very differently. 
We have very different strategies on how we can control things so that we can be okay and feel good or feel better. And, and you know, certainly there are people that are very dominant, aggressive, controlling what we think of, impatient, using force kind of to, to manipulate things and make things happen. And the only problem with that is that sometimes it works. Like, it really does. That Some of the best successful coaches are just jerks. And, and you know what? They do win, and then they tend to get new players. And, and some of the, the most thriving institutions or, or businesses or even some churches or certain committees within churches, they get things done. The program seems to be thriving, and, and often it's because there's somebody that's just a control freak that's making it all happen, but it doesn't usually last, does it? And if, if it does, the, the impact is so often because people are doing it out of fear and not out of love or motivation. But on the other side... There's people, and maybe some of you are like this, like me, and more of the passive side where, you know what, we're going to be kind and loving and we're not going to force our will on anyone else and we're going to react instead of just bully our way through life. And so certainly we're not control freaks, right? Well, in the words of, uh, of Lee Corso in ESPN Game Day, not so fast, my friend. <laughs> We've got our own strategies. And I have been forced to realize that so many of the things that, that I'm doing that I think are loving and kind are, are really just to kind of control a conflict from happening because I don't like conflict. Didn't have any conflict growing up in my family, so that makes me feel uncomfortable. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do things and be nice and kind and make sure there's no conflict. And, and you know what? I, I really, really need a lot of validation for myself from other people. So I'm going to have to be really nice and kind to hopefully get you to, to think a certain way about me. And, and so I'm going to control the situation. And I'm gonna, all these different ways that we try to control. And, and you may have others. There's plenty of them. The bottom line is they don't work. They certainly don't work in the long run. And they certainly, certainly don't work in God's economy. It's not how he does it with us. He woos us. He loves us. He lets reality smack us around from time to time. But it's, we fall in love with him. And that's our motivation for we're doing it. Not because we're scared to death of something or someone. And as it relates to this effort to bless the city, um, you can't make it work. You can try, but it might fail. Like whatever program you sign up to be a part of, it may not work. The people may not receive it. There may not be change as you see change. It just may not happen. Guess what? It's not your job. God wants us to be faithful, not to worry about being successful. He wants us to focus on the process and not the outcome. He wants us to take the right step, the next right step in our journey, and not be so worried about what the destination has to look like. And strangely, somehow or another, I, I, I got a better grasp of that when I was playing football. Like in a real high-performance-oriented industry, I was pretty content saying, I'm going to throw this pass, I'm going to get hit, my face is going to be in the dirt, and it might end up a touchdown, and it might end up an interception. I don't know. Once it leaves my hands, I couldn't have seen anything anyway because all these tall guys in front of you. And, and so, you know what? I did my best, touchdown, interception. I got, it seemed like I got it, and then I got into ministry. And all of a sudden, I'm struggling with this because if I don't do this, this is going to happen. If we don't do this, lives are at stake, kingdoms at stake. And all of a sudden, I start controlling things. We cannot control things. May God please help us to just be. Let him be in control of the outcomes.
Last one. Three days after I was diagnosed, three or four days after I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre. Late on a Saturday night, I, I started reading on the internet, you know, Googling Guillain-Barre. Bad idea. I mean, because you start looking up, you try to play doctor online, you're, you're all going to die tomorrow. Um, well, I just read about how this stuff works into your chest, and it can, can, can contract and constrict, and you can die. I woke up at 3 a.m., short of breath. And as I tried to take a deeper breath, it got tighter. I began to feel this constriction happening. And as I laid there in the middle of the night, I thought, God, is this it? Like, this is not how I saw this happening. I've got small children. I've got a lot of things that, that I, I want to be a part of in my life. And here I am in, in Montgomery. I can't breathe. So we called the doctor right away and came and as we talked through it and as I looked at things, they said, okay, Danny, you're fine. You're not, you're not dying. That's not what's happening here. I said, what's going on? He said, you have really, really bad gas. <laughs> he said, you are very nauseous. He said, when's the last time you had a bowel movement? I said, uh, seven days ago. He says, you're constipated, you're nauseous, you have a bowel movement. And, uh, and they started giving me all this medicine and it's still nothing would come out. And I went from being active and eating to sedentary and had to lay on my back all this time. And, and so people were saying, what can we pray for you for? And I was like, honestly, pray that I can take a dump. And honestly, this guy came, anointed my head with oil, seriously, prayed that I would take a dump. And 15 minutes later, I took my first crap after I got back. So praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> um, is that okay to say, Randy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I'm almost done anyway. You can't really throw me out. Um, the reality is everything is limited. Money's limited. Time is limited. There's only so many hours in a day. There's only so much we can do. There's only so many days left in your life. There's only so many days left in this church. Eventually, we are going to die. I've been walking through cemeteries recently. Just have a profound effect on that reminder in my life. I don't know exactly what it does, but it does something. And I sense that, that it is good, that it's not a morbid thing that I'm experiencing. But one day, you know, I was in New Orleans last week. And there was this beautiful building that wasn't very old. But after Katrina now, I walked into this building. First of all, you could barely smell at all because it was awful. There was grass almost as tall as I was inside this, what used to be a beautiful building. This building will be gone one day. We will be gone one day. But what could be, what could be left? The thumbprint of God's spirit on this city. The movement of God's spirit in the heart and life of Atlanta for years and generations to come. Perhaps because we were a church body that said, God, we know it's going to be tough. Please heal my heart so it's not about me. God, I know I wrestle with this every moment, but I, I'm not that important. God, do, do we want to be the, the lead actor in what's inevitably a terrible movie? Or do we want to be a supporting cast member in the greatest story ever told? I'm not that important, God. And I know I can't control it. We will be faithful. 
But we will not get stuck in, in the outcome. That is in your hands, God. And we are reminded that our time is very limited. If we are a people that embrace that, it's amazing what God can do. I would even say, if we don't, if we can't embrace some of these things, if we, if we think it's going to be easier, it's about us, or that we're all that important, or that we're going to control it, I almost say don't do it. I don't know how that would impact all the different areas of the city, because again, I, I don't live and, and move there, but as it relates to the inner city, my friends in the inner city would tell me, Danny, if you're going to say anything to that church, tell them if they're going to come with those attitudes to not come at all. That if they're going to send money and come with those attitudes, tell them not to come or even send money. If you're not going to do it from the inside out with God leading the change in your own heart, don't do it. But there's, there's two reasons why I think you're going to do it and it's going to go well. Two things that I've learned about this church. First is it was founded primarily on a vision of someone whose heart isn't so much about preaching, although he's a great preacher, isn't about leading a team and building big buildings, although that's happening for sure, we're in one. His heart was about the spirit of God in very small centers, impacting and changing lives from the inside out. The concept of discipleship has been the core in his life and continues to be, and God is blessing that. So I know and have faith that as we move out to do this, work in the city. A great work has already been started in each of your hearts by being a part of this church. And lastly, there's this principle that in dying, we find life. That in being last, we become first. That we, if we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. And honestly, it just doesn't really work that way in business and it doesn't work that way in many aspects of life. So this is a, this is a kingdom reversal that this church I know has embraced. You see, my probably the biggest mentor in my life is a 57-year-old African-American named Anthony. I shared with Anthony about Perimeter Church, and I shared with him some of my thoughts and some of, some of my concerns. He said, Dane, let me, let me tell, you, tell you a story. He said, 25, 30 years ago, I can't remember what he said. He said, I was a poor, black struggling pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. We didn't know if we were going to be open from week to week. We didn't know. There was another young church in Atlanta who was meeting in a storefront, sort of fledgling to get started. And he says, for the life of me, I don't really even remember how this young man named Randy Pope heard about me or our church in Birmingham. But not only did he hear about it, in their, in their kind of infantile stage, they started sending us money every month. And we wouldn't have made it were it not for that. He said, Danny, that church is built on the kingdom reversal principle of giving yourself away. And as the spirit moves into our hearts, as it changes us, and then that becomes the motivation from the inside to be all in to go all out, the city can be blessed and the city can be transformed. In the end, people may or may not know about Perimeter Church, but they'll know about God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, far more than we ever deserve. We are broken more than we can imagine. 
maybe even thinking about some of these things today, remind us of our brokenness, and yet somehow you love us more than we could ever imagine. And we, we need your spirit in the core of our hearts. Come now. Father, as we begin to enter towards this table of communion, what a reminder that it is your sacrifice, your love, your coming down from on high, humbling yourself to dying on a cross, your shed blood and broken body is the only hope we have of our hearts truly being redeemed and transformed. May we be ever mindful of that. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the Media Resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.